Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Merry Christmas. It's getting close, isn't it? Like, where did December go? Um, I want to invite our children's to children, children's, <laughs> uh, children's, <laughs> children's church. <laughs> and as the children's go, let me open us in prayer. Uh, Lord, thank you for this season, uh, this time of remembrance, this practiced anticipation of the coming of the Lord. And though, Lord, we look back on the event, we see the infant in the manger, uh, Lord, there is a sense in which we are looking forward also. We don't know when you'll return. We don't know when you'll come back. And so we, like the saints of old, in eager anticipation, await your coming. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would, in this season of Advent, fill us with the hope and the expectation that you will come, that you will come back to your people. And Lord, in the uh, interim, Lord, we confess that we suffer with um, the same things we had before we knew you, sickness, um, with uh, struggles against sin, um, with relationships, the, 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 we're, we're eagerly awaiting the putting away of sin, the restoration of all things. And Lord, to that end, we want to pray for Dick Dinsmore and for Jeannie Dinsmore as they're both suffering with uh, illness right now. Lord, would you bring to them your healing hand and may we enjoy more years with them. And thank you for their, their participation in this church and our lives, uh, for their friendship, for their love, and we pray your blessing on them this morning. Lord, uh, we also want you to be with us as we look to your word. Help us to see and to understand what it is that you have to say to us. May we learn to trust in you from your word. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're now on the uh, third Sunday of Advent. Our Advent series, again, is Strangers. And we're looking at what we're calling strangers to the covenant, right? People who are outside the community who come in. And so a couple weeks ago, Bob Burris came and he shared with us the book of Ruth. That's a Moabitess who is supposed to be cut off and not be allowed into the generation or into the, uh, the, the covenant people for 10 generations. And, and then she gets to be David's grandmother. So there's a blessing bringing in. And then last week, we looked at this man named Naaman, a great military commander who goes to Elisha and is healed, and, and he converts and he becomes a follower of Yahweh. He, he says, there is no other God. And so this week, we're going to look at another person outside who comes in, and this is a widow in, in Zarephath. Now, let's set this up. We've got to do a little, little con, uh, contextualizing of this story first. Um, this is Elijah's ministry. This is the beginning. This is the first introduction of Elijah in the Bible. So this is his first thing. So who is he? Well, he's, he's a Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead, and he went to Ahab. So what is all that about? I would say, so Gilead is in Gad. So that's, if you remember, the, uh, the Jordan River runs like kind of through the nation of Israel. They're to the east. Gad and, and some of the other tribes settled to the east of the Jordan, everybody else to the west. So that's where he's at, is in that area. And this man Ahab, we just got introduced to Ahab in the previous chapter. He was just introduced to us. So he's a brand new king. He's a brand new ruler in the nation of Israel. And Israel, remember, is the northern ten tribes. The nation is split. The southern two tribes are Judah. The northern ten tribes are Israel. And where the capital is in Israel is Samaria. That's the, the, where the, the city where the, they rule from is Samaria. And so Ahab is introduced. And, and Ahab, if you recall, is not a good guy. He's, he's, of all the kings in Israel who were bad, he was kind of like the poster boy of how bad they could be. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 16, verse 30, it says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, 
did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So you get the idea Ahab is the pinnacle of the bad kings of Israel. He is just as bad as it gets. And right after that it says, and if that was a light thing, if that wasn't enough, the next thing it says is that he took a foreign wife and introduced Baal worship to Israel. He brought the, the worship of that foreign god, that, that false god Baal, into Israel. And, and the way the Bible sets it up is as if that was a light thing, as if that was no big deal. So when, I think an important lesson here is when it gets as bad as that, what does God do? He sends a prophet. And he sends a prophet like Elijah. And, and we know the stories of Elijah. He did some amazing things. So this first incident where we don't even get his call, he just shows up and he does what he's going to do. He goes to Ahab and he says, there's going to be a drought for three years. No rain is going to fall unless I say so. Period. End of discussion. And he leaves. Just a real quick introduction. We didn't get his calling, kind of like with Isaiah. You hear, you know, Isaiah is called, and who will go for me, and I will go, Lord, and I saw the hot Lord high lifted up. None of that. We just get Elijah dropped in. It's also something to note. Elijah didn't write a book. It's like, why would such a powerful prophet as Elijah and Elisha, they didn't get to write a book. Um, but we get, we get their story in, um, in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, so... Be satisfied with that. It's not like we don't know. So he goes and he says that to uh, Ahab. There's going to be a drought. Because you're such a horrible king, because Israel is so apostate, God is bringing judgment on you, there will be no rain for three years. And I don't mean like little rain for three years. There won't be a drop. When the story ends, when the rain comes back, Elijah goes and says, go look at the horizon. What do you see? I don't see anything. Now go look again. Oh, there's a little tiny cloud up there. Okay, go look again. Okay, now it's as big as hand, and then all of a sudden it rains. There was absolutely no rain in Israel for three years. We're familiar with that, right? <laughs> We're in Southern California. We know what it's like to not get rain for a long time. So the next thing that the Lord says is the Lord tells him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the book Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. So he kind of sends him home. Now, um, if you look in, in Bible maps and stuff, you'll find exactly where Tishbe is and where the book Cherith is, and they're all over the place. There's about four or five traditional places. All we know is it's east of the Jordan. That's not what's important. So why does he leave? Why does he send him to the, to the brook Cherith? Well, he needs water. The, the nation is not going to have water, but the Lord sends him to this brook so that he might have water. He might survive this drought because... Elijah, Elijah is God's spokesman in this. God has a very big role for him to play in Israel, and so he's going to preserve his, his prophet. So he sends him to this brook, and he says, You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So these ravens are going to bring in food. Now, think about ravens for a minute. Um, I was just reading an article this week. The intelligence of ravens is incredible. They are so stinking smart. They've, they've done some tests with them where they got these, this uh, big tube with water in it, and there was a treat floating on the top, but it was too far down for the, the raven to get. So they went over and picked up rocks and threw it in the water till the water level came up, and then they got the I mean, that is a smart bird, right? But they're also scavengers. And so one of the things that we grew up, you know, living out at Edwards, driving into town every week, we would see them out on the freeway eating roadkill. They're scavengers. That's what they do. That's how they get by. Um, so smart as they are, they eat dead things. 
So these are the things that God said, I'm going to appoint, I have appointed some, I have commanded them to bring you food. I have never seen a raven bring food to somebody else. <laughs> they bring food to themselves, they fight over food, they figure out how to get food, but ne they never bring it to, them, to uh, somebody else. Um, so what is it, why is it God appointed the ravens to do that? What was so special about the ravens? Well, I, 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 there's a number of possibilities. One thing is they could be seen as a, a form of judgment because they would be considered like the birds of the air, right? The birds of the air would be the things that would come and pick over the dead bodies after a battle. It would be like a curse. Um, Proverbs 30, 17 talks about ravens pecking out eyes. What a pleasant picture. Um, but most of the time in the Bible, it doesn't really say much about ravens, good or bad. Most The other two places, it talks about feeding the ravens. God feeds the ravens. And then there's one in Song of Solomon where it says that Solomon's hair is black as a raven. So it's not a bad thing or a good thing. So what's the, the point of the ravens here? Well, I think the point of the ravens at this point is these are unclean birds. It's, it's explicit in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You can't eat ravens. Anybody really want to eat ravens? I don't, I don't have a beef with the law at this point. I'm a little upset about the pork part. I really like bacon, but I can get away with not eating ravens. But this is an unclean bird. And God has appointed this unclean bird to bring to Elijah food. And so what it says is, is that in the morning and in the evening, the birds would come and bring him meat and bread. Where do they get bread? It's not like they went out and ground the, the, the uh, grain themselves and did it. Somehow, in some miraculous way, we have no idea where it came from, they picked up and they brought food to Elijah every morning and every evening. So he's sitting by this brook and he's drinking this fresh water because the brook would run down to the river Jordan and then the Jordan would run down into the Dead Sea. That's the way the water flowed. But these birds, just out of nowhere, are bringing him food. Where on earth did they get that? Well, God gave it to them. <laughs> Isn't that what Jesus told us? Consider the birds of the air. They don't reap or, 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 spin, or uh, reap or toil, and yet the Lord feeds them. And so that's what he's doing, is he's using these birds to feed them. So he, that's what he is for a period of time. Um, don't know how long he was there, but eventually the brook dries up. So he might have been there for maybe eight months to a year, something like that, just hanging out by the brook, having the birds come and feed him. Um, but the brook dries up, so now what's he going to do? Now he's in danger. He, even if the birds keep bringing him food, he needs water. So then the word of the Lord came to him and said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to feed you. So previously it was, Get up, go to the brook Cherith, I have commanded ravens to feed you. And now the answer is, Get up, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and I have commanded a widow to feed you. So God is continuing. These, these two miracles that are happening really belong very closely together. I think the author intends them to be seen as essentially one miracle. Uh, there's, there's one thing that God is doing in miraculously feeding him. So where is Zarephath? It's in Sidon. Okay. <laughs> think of Tyre and Sidon. Like, I never associated the two, but I forget that Tyre and Sidon, we think of them as, as like twin cities. Uh, they're out on the coast on the Mediterranean, and Sidon is north of Tyre, and Tyre is out there. That is a, a pagan land. As a matter of fact, um, Sidon is where Ahab's wife is from. Anybody remember who Ahab's wife is? Jezebel. She's got a bit of a reputation in the Bible, doesn't she? 
She was horrible. She was absolutely horrible. She's from Sidon. As a matter of fact, she's the king's daughter. Ethbaal is the king of Sidon, and his daughter married Ahab, and because she married Ahab, Ahab introduces Baal worship. So when you look at this, you go, Sidon? That's where you want him to go? Really? I mean, look what Sidon has done for us. No argument, no complaints. He gets up and goes. So he goes from the other side of the Jordan, east of the Jordan, all the way out to the Mediterranean Sea. It's a pretty good trek. And when he gets to the city, he sees a widow out gathering sticks. Uh, this is just kind of a cool aside. I, the first thing I thought of was ravens gathering sticks to make a nest or something. So maybe I'm just drawing two title parallel, but anyway. They were gathering food, she's gathering sticks. So she goes out and she gathers sticks and he calls and he says, give me a little water. The, the, the brook dried up, so I'm, I'm really parched. Could you give me some water? By the way, there's a three-year drought going on. And, um, and she said that, uh, she said she was, uh, oh, and as she was going to bring it, he also said, can you give me a piece of bread? And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. So somehow she knows who he is. He's a Jew. So as Yahweh your God lives, I got nothing. I'm not lying to you. I, I am absolutely broke. Um, she says, all I've got is just a little bit of dough, or a little bit of flour, rather, and a little bit of uh, oil. I'm going to mix those together, throw these sticks together, make a fire. We're gonna, me and my little son are going to sit down, we're going to eat this food, and then we're going to die. Because it's over. There's nothing left in the land. The, the famine is killing us. So that's the picture. But Elijah, he says, well, don't fear. Do as you said, but first make me a cake. Wait, what? You want me to finish it off? We'll skip the part where me and my son are going to eat. We'll just go ahead and die, but you have a cake and, and you can watch. But that's not the end of the story, is it? He says, uh, don't fear, do as you said, bring me a cake and afterwards something for yourself and your son because the jar of flour will not be spent and the jug of oil will not go empty. Period. So she's got this little clay jar which has got some flour in it and every time she pours it out she looks in and it's got the same amount in there. And she keeps doing that over and over again. She's got a little pitcher with oil in it and she pours the oil out and the level is right back at where it was. For a long time, this is for many days they did this. That immediately brought to mind, for me, the feeding of the 5,000. Because that would be a similar event, wouldn't it? They'd pick up a basket with you know, a few loaves and some fish, and they would just keep handing food out of this basket. And it would never go down, and never go down, and never go down. And everybody would eat. And they'd go, well, now we've got 12 baskets of food left over out of this little bit of food that we had. It's a similar kind of miracle. God is providing for his prophet in the foreign land, away from Israel, in the Sidonians who have really brought the, the problem to Israel, God is still active there. This is one of those events where God is saying, I'm sovereign over everything. I'm not limited to just Canaan or Samaria or Israel. I'm sovereign over it all. So in a foreign land, he's performing this miracle. And so she went and did that for many days, and it was never spent. And then it says at the end, the jar of flour was neither empty, spent nor the jar of oil became empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. That's important. This is not Elijah just doing a really great thing and showing himself to be really powerful. It is by the word of the Lord by Elijah. And that's going to come in really important at the end of this story. So they have this nice relationship. As long as the prophets live in here, we're eating. This is a good deal. Um, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. 
and his illness was so severe that no breath was left in him. And she accuses him, have you done this? Why have you brought this, my sin to remembrance? Why are you reminding me of my sin? Isn't it interesting that that's her first response? That she's standing before this prophet of God and she goes, the problem here must be my sin. She's aware of her sin. She's aware that she is doing something wrong. And she is thinking, well, it's because of that that this has happened to me. Was it because of her sin that her son died? Don't know. It doesn't say. I think of the, the example in uh, John chapter 9 where a man is born blind and they come to Jesus and they say, was he born blind because of his sin or because of somebody else's? We're going to associate the sin with, with or the illness with the sin. We've got to get this figured out. And Jesus looks at him and goes, neither. That's not the answer. He was born blind so that God may be glorified. So why did the little boy die? Well, we don't know exactly. She's thinking it's because of her sin, but ultimately what we're going to see is so that God might be glorified here. So he takes the child, he takes him upstairs to the chamber in which he lobbed and, uh, lodged and lays him on his own bed and he cries out to the Lord. So she comes to Elijah and says, why? And he takes the child upstairs and then he crawls out to the Lord and says, oh Lord, why? And then he stretches himself out on the, on the boy. I, it might be he just laid across him as he was praying. Um, don't know exactly what it means, but he, he's stretching out upon the boy. He does it three times, and it says, The life of the child came into him, and he revived. The word life there is nephesh. It's usually thought of as a soul, but it's often translated as breath. Too. That, that could be breath, because what you're seeing is soul, breath, life are all really associated in, in the Hebrew thought. As a matter of fact, there's one place in, I think, Leviticus where it says, don't touch a dead nephesh. So it can't be just life, and if it's a soul, the soul is departed. So it's this whole concept, this whole person. So his life, his essential force, his, his being has returned to him. And Elijah brings the child down from the upper chamber and gives him to his mother. See, your son lives. And the woman said, and I think this is the, the, the point of all of these miracles, now I know you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. It's not a truth. It is not part of the truth. It is not true. It is truth. In an absolute sense, Elijah, what you have said is truth. It is what it is. And so we don't get the clear indication that we got with Naaman that she is now converted Yahweh worshiper, but she has a renewed understanding that this man of God speaks the word of the Lord, and that word is truth. That's what that is. So that's the story in a nutshell. It's a pretty simple story. Pretty miraculous, but pretty simple. So the comparison is that the ravens feed Elijah until the water is gone, then the widow feeds. And I think the point there is both are essentially unclean, aren't they? The Jews were not supposed to go intermingle with the Gentiles. And so the, he, God pictures this thing with the ravens being these unclean birds are going to serve you. They're going to do what I have commanded them to do, and they will serve you. They will preserve you. You are my representative before Ahab, and you must survive this three-year drought. Therefore, the ravens will... And then I, and once the water's gone, because that's what I'm doing to Israel, now you go to an unclean Gentile, and you go hang out with her, and she will feed you. I thought it was interesting that God said, I have commanded a, a, a widow to feed you, a woman to feed you. 
And when Elijah comes up, she has no idea. She's like, all I've got is this little bit of stuff. I can't, and, and he's like, yeah, but God has commanded you to, to do it. So Elijah's viewpoint on this is, then you can just do it because God commanded it. So let's, let's get on with it here. So this is the picture that God has painted for us is this unclean bird and this unclean Gentile are going to provide for Elijah. And when death comes, when death enters the picture, he is going to bring him back. He's, he's going to undo the damage, undo the death. So how does this tie into uh, Advent? What does this have to do with the coming of Christ? Actually, it has an awful lot to do with it. If you flip over to Luke chapter 4, um, let me set up Luke 4 a little bit before we get to it. So Luke uh, chapter 3 is Jesus' genealogy, and then um, in chapter 4 he goes and he gets baptized, and then the Holy Spirit drives him out into the wilderness for 40 days, and Satan tempts him. And then after the 40 days is over, it says that he returned to Nazareth, and he comes in power. And so when he gets to Nazareth, he does what he commonly does. He goes into a synagogue, and he sits down. Well, in synagogues in those days, they would have guest preachers. Unlike me hogging the pulpit, where we do it here, they would just turn to somebody and hand him a scroll and say, what do you got to say, brother? Um, now, it wouldn't just be anybody. They would look for people that, that they would recognize. And so they looked to Jesus, and what it says is he, he takes a scroll, and he opens it up to the place in Isaiah, and he reads. It's Isaiah chapter 61, almost the end of Isaiah, and this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and he sits down. And everybody looks at him. Well, what does it mean? And Jesus gives a very simple answer. He says, today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's just gone in the power of the Spirit into the wilderness and resisted Satan. And he's now returned. And what's he going to do? He's going to proclaim good news to the poor. He's going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so they are all just delighted. Oh, that's wonderful. Isn't that nice? But he's just Joseph's boy. Now, in, in the Luke's reading, it's, it's just stated, uh, isn't he the son of the carpenter? There's no negative connotation to it. But Jesus' response sounds pretty negative. And so he says, well, then, perhaps you will quote to me the, uh, the proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you do in Capernaum, do here is in your hometown as well. So apparently, Luke skipped part of what Jesus had done. He had gone into Capernaum and did miracles. And so in the synagogue, they're all looking at him and go, well, you know, come on. Magic boy, let's see some stuff here. Throw something my way. So they're not believing him. They're not looking to him and saying, you know, this is true. And so his response is alarming. He said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three, three years and six months and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Whoa. The, the, the year of the Lord's favor, the proclaiming the, the captives being set free, the, the blind being uh, uh, given sight, that, that's supposed to happen in Israel, Jesus. That's not going to happen everywhere else. 
And Jesus' response is, he points to this story that we've just read. That, that widow, surely there were plenty of widows in Israel at the time. But Elijah wasn't sent to any of those. Why? Because Israel was apostate. Because Israel didn't believe in anything that they were told. They refused to trust in the Lord. And so the Lord sent to uh, one who was outside the covenant family, outside the, the group of people who you would think the Messiah would come to, sends Elijah out there, and Elijah gives her food and heals her and brings her son to, to life. So that's the response, is these people are looking and they're saying, well, come on, do the same tricks here that you did there. And Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith and immediately points to a Gentile and says, that's the story, that's the purpose, that's the point, is this Gentile heard and received. But wait a minute, it keeps going. This ties it into the previous week. He says, and there were many lepers in the land in the time of the prophet, prophet Elisha, and none of them were clean, cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Remember from last week? So Jesus is looking at these two events, these two outsiders, and he's telling them, I, I think the picture he's painting them is Israel, the northern tribes, Samaria, who you hate right now, were apostate. And he's looking at them and saying, you are too. You didn't learn the lesson. Now the Messiah has come. The promise has arrived. And you're asking for tricks? What are you thinking? And so he's, he's already tipping his hat where the, his ministry is going to go. His ministry is going to go eventually to the Gentiles. Now, time out. That doesn't mean that he doesn't want anything to do with the Jews because he spent the rest of his life ministering to the Jews. And also, I don't think we're supposed to take it as all or nothing here because go back to the widow. She was Sidonian, right? She was from Sidon. Who else was from Sidon? Jezebel. So the one woman from Sidon is seen as evil, rejected. Elijah has some horrible things to say to her. The way she dies is disgusting. She's thrown out of a window, splatters on the ground, and dogs eat her. I mean, this is gross. But the other woman from Sidon is a widow. And her son dies, and he's raised to life again. And, and she's out of food, and he's given her food. So it's not a racial thing where, you know, the Sidonians are all bad, or all the Jews are bad. But what Jesus, what Jesus is doing here is he's rebuking them for the lack of faith. And the response is they all go, oh, we're so sorry, we got that wrong. Now the response is when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill which their town was built so that they could throw him down from the cliffs. So did Jesus call that one right? I think he nailed it. They were really mad at the idea that the Messiah would have anything to do with the Gentiles. This was supposed to be us. This was supposed to be about us. So to tie this in, these stories back into Advent, the, the healing of Naaman was a hint. It was just a, a glimpse, a little shining in the darkness of where God was going to go with his salvific mission. The healing or the, the feeding of Elijah by the widow in, in Zarephath was again just a little glint, a little hint at what God was going to do. Now, a lot of the other scriptures don't talk about the Gentiles so much, they don't in involve them so much. But this is where Jesus goes as he picks up those two little hints and he says, This is my ministry, you guys. This is what I'm here for. I am going to proclaim liberty to captives. 
I am not going to be proclaiming liberty to captors. So if you are trying to oppress the, the widows and the poor and those kind of folks and, and keep the Gentiles at arm's length, I'm not here to proclaim liberty to you. I'm here to proclaim liberty to those who are oppressed and they know it. And so that's the hope he brings. But back at, at Elijah's time, we don't know all that yet, do we? We just get a little glimpse. We're just hoping for the mission of the Messiah to be known. And so this is why this, I think, is a good Advent message is we get those glimpses, we get those hopes, and we look forward and we go, oh, now Jesus is here and it's fulfilled. We may not have understood it before he came, but now we get it. We see what he was going to do. He's going to bring in the nations. He's going to, and he's bringing in the nations. He's not excluding the Jews and going to the nations. He's bringing them in. He's making one people again, drawing them all together. So that's the Advent message of the widow of Zarephath. Is, is she is there to picture to us how God will provide. And, and also picturing it's the Jew who is interceding on behalf of the widow, right? She says, hey, my son is dead. He turns and he calls out to the Lord. And then he comes back and he brings the child to her. And so he's that intermediary. And that's kind of the picture of Jesus is here's the Jew standing between the Gentiles and, and the Lord and bringing the two together. And so hopefully in the end, when we get that, when we see that whole picture, we will say and agree with the widow, now I know the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Not true, not true-ish. Wasn't there somebody said that a number of years ago? It's true-ish. <laughs> not true-ish. It is truth. I, and I think it's amazing the way that's stated. Not the truth, as if it's objective, but truth. What it is at its heart, at its nature, this is the truth. This is the truth that we know the universe is built on. And so that's who Jesus is in the middle of that. So what is his message from Isaiah? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus, who was the eternally begotten Son of God, there was never a time when the Son was not, he comes, he is baptized, and the Spirit of the Lord descends on him. But, but he's God. But his human nature had to receive the Spirit of the Lord. So now you've got the Son and the Spirit working in this one individual. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Merry Christmas. Good news to the poor. To recover the sight of the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So I kind of railed against those who are oppressors, right? The ones who keep people in chains and stuff. But he also said recovering sight to the blind. And there are a couple places where he looks at Pharisees and he goes, if you were blind, you'd have an excuse, but you see. I'm here to talk to people who are blind, and so you get people like, like, um, John chapter 3, uh, <laughs> I'm a blank. Nicodemus, thank you, good heavens. I, I got, I, it's sometimes the, comport, the portion of my brain that does Old Testament and the portion that does New Testament don't kind of come together. And So Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus was a ruler, and, and Jesus said, don't you, how, aren't you a leader? Aren't you a teacher of Israel? How do you not know these things? And then in the end, we see Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea taking care of Jesus' body. So it's not, we've we got to think outside these categories where it's all these people, all these leaders were bad, and all these poor people were good, and, and that kind of stuff. The picture is, Sight to those who can't see, liberty to the oppressed, because it is the year of the Lord's favor. So that's what, that's what Advent is about, is we're looking forward to the year of the Lord's favor. 
We're looking forward to the birth of the Savior, the one who would do those very things, who would set people free, who would recover sight. And it's when Jesus comes that the widow of Zarephath, her faith is, is found full. That's what that was. That was what Elijah was doing. And, and don't forget who Elijah was, right? John the Baptist was, was supposed to be the prophet Elijah. He came in the power of Elijah. That's some significant power. And all that Elijah did in John the Baptist was go, that one, Jesus, he's the one. Follow him. Don't follow me. So that's, that's the beautiful way I think those two stories link up and fit together and fill in our Advent season. So with that, let me close this in prayer. Lord, thank you for sending Elijah to a widow. And not just a widow, someone who is, who is economically disadvantaged, but a single mother, uh, a widow with a child, um, a son who she would have to provide for. And Lord, not just a widow and a single mom, but Lord, to a Gentile, to someone who is outside the covenant promise, who would out, somebody who would not have the hope of the Savior that Elijah and others might have. And Lord, I thank you also for doing that in the midst of apostate Israel, in, in the face of Ahab worshiping Baal, in the face of Jezebel um, challenging and trying to kill the prophets of you. Um, Lord, it, it just it has this scent of, of Christmas when Herod tried to kill all the babies because he was trying to get rid of you. Uh, Lord, it's, it's amazing how there is nothing new under the sun. Uh, human hearts will react in the same way more often than not. But Lord, thank you that you have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim liberty, to pray good, proclaim good news to the poor. And so Lord, as uh, our Advent season comes to its fullness, to its climax in Christmas, Lord, may we see that you have been up to this for a very long time. And the birth of the Savior is something that we were anticipating and looking forward to. And Lord, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.